appreciate that song. And Brother Frank, I've got to know, what did you have against that fourth verse of that second song? <laughs> yeah, well, you did it. And I thought you were just trying to test the new guy, see if he'd follow your lead or if he'd take the lead. So, Mason, if that ever happens again, you say, Brother Frank, we're not done yet, and then you have him sit down real quick, all right? So he's, he's in training, and we're going to get this all squared away. I appreciate you testing him, Brother Frank. I, you, can, you can admit that was intentional. I don't mind. But uh, anyways, Nehemiah chapter 1 tonight, Nehemiah chapter 1. glad we're here tonight. I'm glad that we get to have a baptism later this evening. Uh, it's always a joy uh, to get to have a baptism. I was talking to a pastor this week at the preacher's meeting that I went to on Thursday, and he said that the church that he is now pastoring, it's kind of a, a reviving of a, of a work, so to speak. He said they had not used the baptistry since 1989. 1989. If you do the math, that's almost 30 years that they had not had one baptism in that church. And so uh, it is a blessing to be able to have a baptism and to do so for the right reason. And we'll give more information as that uh, draws closer in a few moments. But tonight I'd like us to look in Nehemiah chapter 1. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we will get started. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder in song just a moment ago that there is nothing too hard for you. And, Lord, if we would just remember that, it would so help us throughout our days. And, Lord, I pray that you would... Uh, just help us to reflect on that as we would need to. I pray that you'd help me tonight to say what you've laid upon my heart. God, that it would be a help to us, uh, your people. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we began this study of Nehemiah. It's one that I said then that we did probably 12 or 13 years ago. I believe it was on a Wednesday night. And so we're revisiting this portion of Scripture because there is still much to learn. There is still much to glean from this passage. And so last week I tried to explain to us that the context or the setting of this book of Nehemiah is well after the fact that God had allowed the nation of Israel to experience judgment. The Babylonian Empire was able to come in and defeat the people of Israel, and they were able to carry many of them captive. And so as all this was happening and as all this was taking place, we watched as this man by the name of Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer in the palace there in Shushan. That would have been in the Babylonian Empire. And as he was there, some men from Judah came to visit him, to pay a visit, and... Uh, uh, Nehemiah asked the condition of the city, uh, the condition of, of the homeland. And in verse number three, they talked about how uh, they are those that the remnant that are left of captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And so these men made it clear that the homeland was a mess. And I, I talked about how the mess that they were dealing with and the mess that was there, it was created by the previous generation. So here a later generation was having to deal with the mess that someone else created. And I talked about how so many times there are people dealing with messes that they did not create, but that others have created for them. And we've got to be reminded that what you and I do and how we live has impact on the next generation. And knowing that our actions impact people after us, it is of utmost importance that we get it right. We cannot afford to get this wrong. We cannot afford to make things more difficult for the next generation. We need to get it right. 
because other people will have to deal with what we've created for them. So that being said, tonight we're going to move on, and I want us to think about something that I would imagine all of us know, but really there would be no reason for us to give attention to this on a regular basis. But I want us to think about something that has been neglected for quite some time. Whatever it may be, uh, it's been neglected, and as a result of the neglect, it has decayed, it's deteriorated, it's just not held up very well. And so here's what you know, is that if you want to restore that, whatever it is, it is going to be a process that gets it restored, correct? So whether it be an old piece of furniture, whether it be a car, whether it be a house, whether it be our bodies, whatever it is, if something has been neglected and it has deteriorated, if there is going to be a restoration take place, it will require a process. Now, I think all of us would agree that, generally speaking, we enjoy the finished product of a restoration, would we not? We enjoy the finished product of a restoration, but there are many times, for most of us anyway, if we've ever been involved in that process, there are different aspects of the restoration process that we do not enjoy. We wish we had some kind of pixie dust, don't we, that we could just sprinkle over the project and say, be fixed, and it just all be restored, that would be nice, but that is not reality, correct? It is not reality at all. And so there is a process that has to take place in order for restoration to take place. Now, as we keep that in mind, tonight I want us to consider something, and this is just, again, introduction into the message, and we'll try to tie all this together in a couple of moments. But I want us to be reminded tonight as to who Nehemiah is and the position that he holds. Nehemiah is a cupbearer in the palace of the king of Babylon there in Shushan. He is separated from Israel. He is separated from Jerusalem there in the land of Judah by many, many, many miles. Okay, He is nowhere near the land of Israel. And of all the positions that a captive could be in, he would have been in one of the more desirable positions. To be in the palace of a, of a king, it, it may not have been the greatest position in life, seeing how he was the cupbearer to the king, that he was a captive to the Babylonian Empire, but considering what could have happened, he was in a pretty good position, again, comparatively speaking. That being said, I want us to think about this as well. That it is hard sometimes for you and I to really identify with the situation that we are distant from. Would you agree with this? It is difficult sometimes for you and I to really identify with a situation that we are distant from. What do I mean? Well, imagine hearing about the wildfires that took place not too long ago out in California. You and I can see that. You and I can see the images. We can read about it. We can hear stories about it. But because we are separated by so many miles, it's hard for you and I to really connect with that and to have an understanding of what that looks like. Whenever you and I hear of natural disasters taking places in, or taking place in other parts of the world, we may see the pictures. We may say, oh, that's terrible. Oh, that's awful. Man, I hate that for those people. But because it did not directly affect us, what are we able to do pretty quickly? We're able to pretty quickly disconnect ourselves from whatever has happened to someone else and go about our daily lives and go about our daily business. 
So when we were flying in a couple of weeks ago and we were flying into L.A. and the pilot said, if you look out to your left, you can see the fires burning. We saw the fires burning there in the distance. We landed. We went off on, and, and landed in Albuquerque, and it was just a distant memory. Why? Because it wasn't my homeland or it wasn't my homes burning or the homes of my neighbors, etc. You understand this, right? It is so easy to just disconnect ourselves from that and move on because it's not directly related to us. Now, I say that for this reason. Here is Israel. There is Judah. Jerusalem there in the city, or the, Jerusalem, the city there in what we would might uh, refer to as the state of Judah. And things are a mess. Things are in terrible shape. And Nehemiah hears this of those who have come to visit him. And in verse number 4, we get a little glimpse of the character so far of Nehemiah. We get a glimpse of who he is as an individual. It says, And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. So upon hearing the news of what it was like there in Judah, there in Jerusalem with the temple, with the gates, and, and everything that would have been associated with that, rather than Nehemiah saying, man, I hate that, man, I'm sorry to hear that, oh, I wish it wasn't so, rather than that being his response and, and him just kind of drifting back into his routine and what it was he was responsible for, the scripture says that he sat down, that he wept, that he mourned certain days, and he fasted, and it says he began praying before the God of heaven. So what is Nehemiah going to do? He is going to begin praying, and what is he going to begin praying about? He is going to begin praying about the condition of Israel and their need for restoration. Because Israel was in desperate need of restoration to God. Nehemiah understood this, that the condition and the position that Israel was in, it was not because of bad luck or unfortunate events for the people of Israel. He understood that this was not the result of the Babylonian Empire just being stronger than the nation of Israel. No, Nehemiah understood that all this had happened because of God's judgment on the people of Israel. And so what Nehemiah is going to begin praying for on behalf of the Jewish nation, on behalf of his fellow Israelites, he is going to pray that God would do the restoration that needed to take place. So as you think about that, it says in verse number 5, and we're not going to cover all elements of this prayer, but it says in verse number 5, as he prayed before the God of heaven, I beseech thee, Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God. Now that doesn't mean that God is a bad God. That means an, an awe-inspiring kind of God. All right, it, it was an overwhelming God, and Nehemiah recognized him to be that kind of God. But he says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. In verse number 6 he said, Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest, hearest the, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant. So in verse number 6 he makes this request, he makes this statement, God, I am asking you to be attentive and to open your eyes that you might hear the prayer of my of your servant, of course, that being Nehemiah. Now if you think about that, that really is a valid request, is it not? 
Think about the great gap between us as humans and God in heaven. God who is sinless, God who is righteous, God who is holy, and then mankind who is the exact opposite of everything that God is. There really is, from a human perspective, there is no reason at all for God to hear the prayers of any of us. The only reason that God would hear the prayer of any man would be because of God's great grace and mercy and love toward mankind. Right? Now, if you think about this, Nehemiah is going to go to God in prayer in behalf of whom? The nation of Israel. Friends, the nation of Israel had been living in disobedience to the Word of God. They had been living in rebellion to the Word of God. So Nehemiah is about to approach God on behalf of a rebellious, disobedient people. Friends, that makes even less sense to assume that God would hear that kind of a prayer. It really does, whether we respond to that or not. It makes even less sense to assume that God would be like, Oh yeah, I want to hear the prayers on behalf of someone who has rebelled and who has been disobedient, who's had no regard for me whatsoever. That's exactly what I want to hear the prayers of. Well, it may not be what we would assume, but that is who God is. But yet Nehemiah is saying, Lord, let thine ear be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant. Now look down in verse number 8. In the prayer that Nehemiah records that he prayed over these several days, he said, Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of the heavens, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. So in verses 8 and 9, here is what Nehemiah does. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 30, a portion of scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 30. But he says, Lord, in verse number 8, remember what you said to your servant Moses. So what does that mean to remember? Well, it means this, to call to mind. Now, it's not as though something had slipped the mind of God. You understand this, right? It's not as though God in heaven was saying, did I say that? Did I express that? Have you ever said this? Did I say that or was I just thinking it? You ever been there? Okay, that's not who God is and that's not who God was. So it's not like Moses or that Nehemiah was saying, hey, God, don't you remember? Come on, don't you remember? But, but what Nehemiah is doing is he is saying this. God, I'm asking you to call to mind what you promised to Moses, that if they would return to you, if they would come back to you and keep your commandments and do them, then this is what you said you would do, is that you would gather them from thence, wherever they had been scattered to, and that you would bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there, which would have been Jerusalem. So in the first part of the prayer, he is saying this, God, I'm asking you to hear, and I'm asking you to see, and God, I'm asking you to give attention to what it is I'm going to bring before you, And then he says, Lord, I'm asking you to remember the covenant you made with your people back when Moses was the leader. God, I'm just asking you to recall and to to call to mind what it is you've already said and what you've already promised. So you come down to verse number 11. And he says, O Lord, I beseech thee. What does it mean to beseech? It means this, I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you. Let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servants and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. 
I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. So in verse number 11, though somewhat repetitive, we see this, that Nehemiah also pleads to God for mercy to be extended to him and others who had a desire to fear his name. So do you see the pattern of this prayer? Here is Nehemiah's desire for restoration. And what is he asking God to do? He is saying, God, please hear and please see. God, please give attention to what I am bringing before you. And that was the right attitude and the right spirit of Nehemiah as he approached God under these circumstances. It's always good to approach God with a humble spirit, but especially when you're doing so on behalf of rebellious people. So he is entering into a time of prayer, saying, Lord, please hear, Lord, please see, please give attention. God, please call to mind what you have already promised to do on behalf of a people if they would just return to you and seek you. And God, I am asking for your mercy. Your mercy on my behalf and on behalf of everyone else who would have the desire to fear thy name. Now, that's a wonderful prayer, is it not? It really is. It's a wonderful prayer, and it's something that we could look to and we could learn from and, 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 and be helped by that. But I want us to notice a couple of other things in this prayer of restoration. Because there's an unenjoyable aspect or there's an unenjoyable element related to this prayer that is essential or that would be essential for the restoration of Israel to take place. Notice in verse number 6. Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night, for the children of Israel thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. What's important about that? Well, in this prayer for restoration that's going to begin, here is what Nehemiah does as he begins calling to the Lord and saying, God, I'm asking you to see. God, I'm asking you to hear. Here is what he does before he says, Lord, Remember your promise, and Lord, we ask for your mercy. One of the first things he does is this, is he admits we are in this position because of our sin. We're not here on accident. We're not here because we are the victim of some other circumstance or some other situation. The reason that we as a nation are where we're at is because of our sin. It is our sin that has got us here. See, Nehemiah wanted restoration, but Nehemiah had enough sense to realize this, that if I'm going to be restored unto God, then here's what I've got to do. I've got to be willing to admit that the reason things ever got out of whack in the way that they did is because of sin that was present in our lives. 
Now that is a critical part of restoration we're going to deal with this more in a few moments. But notice what happens then in verse number 7 because this is very important. In verse number 6, he confesses there was sin. In verse number 7, he gets specific with the type of sin. He said, we have dealt very corruptly against thee. We have dealt very corruptly against thee. What does that mean? It means this. Our ways have been perverted. Our ways have been twisted. Our ways have not been straight. The, the manner of life in which we have lived, it's not been in accordance to your will. And that word corruptly also means this, to not just be perverted or twisted or distorted. It means this, to be very offensive to one. So he says, yes, we have sinned, and here's how we have sinned in living a life that would have been very offensive unto you. The things that we as a nation have done, the things that we as a nation have engaged in, it has been offensive to you, God. He goes on to say, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. So he says whether we're talking about the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, the, 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 the things that you told Moses to do, in principle, whatever it is, he said, here's the bottom line, here's the reality of it. We haven't kept them. We haven't observed them. We have not done what you've told us to do. You said do this, and we as a nation, we did this. You said do this, and we said, nope, we'll do over here, and we'll do this. We'll do this, you said, or we ought to do this, and we said, nope, that's not what we're interested in. You said don't do it, and we said, okay, then that's the thing we will do. You following this? Nehemiah says, God, I'm asking you to hear. God, I'm asking you to, to, to give attention to what it is I'm bringing before you. God, I'm asking you to answer. God, I'm asking you to do this. And God, I'm going to remind you and ask you to call to mind the covenant you've made. And, and God, I'm going to ask you for mercy. But God, before I get there, I just need, to, just need to be honest and say, I know that we're here because of our sin. We have lived in a manner that is corrupt, it is, it is offensive, it is perverse, it is twisted. And God, no matter what it is you told us to do, it seems as though we as a nation decided we were going to do our own thing. Now as Nehemiah prays, as he weeps, and as he fasts, and as he does all that he does in those few days, I want to ask you, do you think he enjoyed going through all that? Do you think that was an enjoyable process to, to sit there and say, we have sinned, I have sinned, my father's house has sinned, and here's what we as a nation have done to, to get ourselves into this? Do you think he was enjoying that? Of course not. But in order for the restoration to even be possible, in order for the restoration to take place, Nehemiah had to go through that step. He had to go through that process. It was essential. It had to be done. So why is that important? Well, it's important for several reasons. We're going to get to that in a couple of moments. But I, I, as I was studying for this, I could not help but remember the sermon that Brother Chad preached a few weeks ago in my absence. 
You may remember, you may not, I don't know, but he began opening the sermon, or he began the sermon by, by talking about this, those apologies that are not always the sincerest of apologies. Does that sound familiar? Brother Chad, they're not doing any better than, with you than... <laughs> no, uh, you, some of you remember, I know that you do, and others are like, man, that was seven weeks ago, I don't remember, I get it. But, but Brother Chad talked about how, you know, sometimes apologies are not always the most sincere, it's not always the most heartfelt, and, and as a result, you sometimes question, let's listen, you sometimes question and you sometimes doubt whether or not there was some sincerity attached to it, right? Okay. So think about this in relation to Nehemiah, in relation to what you heard just a few weeks ago, and let's be reminded of this. I want to ask you tonight, have you ever known somebody who just totally got their life in a mess? Well, we've all known people like that, right? I mean, we could probably look around the room and point at them and say, yeah, you've done it. And they'd look at you and say, yeah, you've done it too, right? At some point, we've all known people, and many of us have been that person, who has gotten our lives in a mess. Now, when a person gets their life in a mess, in, in any way that you want to consider, when a person has gotten themselves in that kind of a situation, what do they generally want? They want some kind of restoration to take place, right? They want things to be made better so that they might experience, as Brother Mike said, some relief from the mess that they're in, right? So they want this restoration to take place. But have you ever noticed that some people want to skip from my life's a mess to I want mercy? but they don't want to deal with addressing what got them in the mess? Man, my life is a mess. I'm telling you what, me and my wife, we are fighting all the time. I tell you, I just want the marriage to get better. Well, sir, what are you doing to cause this problem? Man, I'm not doing anything. Seriously? You're not at fault for any of this? No, I'm telling you, man, I married a crazy woman. She, listen, she could be. But you know what I think probably brings some of the crazy out of her? Living with you, sir. But the man doesn't want to admit it. Some lady says, well, I just wish my husband would, would just treat me better. I just wish my husband loved me more. I just wish my husband did this and did this and did this. And I'm, I don't even enjoy being married anymore. Well, ma'am, what are you doing or what have you done to contribute to a husband who doesn't seem real interested in you anymore? I haven't done anything. Yeah, you're right. I forgot you're perfect, ma'am. Isn't this true? Isn't it amazing the number of people you talk to and they basically, in this situation anyway, I haven't done anything wrong. Okay, so your life's a mess and you want it all better and you want restoration, but what you want to do is you just want to bypass anything that could be your fault and you just want to jump straight to, to the mercy of God. You know what they need to be reminded? It doesn't work that way. If you want things to be restored, if you want things to be made right, here's what you've got to do. You've got to be willing to admit your own fault. Now, think about this, and, and, and I know that you already are, but I want you to think about this. Isn't that our tendency as well sometimes? Sometimes. 
It's not just everyone else. Sometimes, man, I find myself in the exact same position. Things are not going well. Things are not going right. And, and I step back and I say, well, how could it be my fault? You ever been there? I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't say anything wrong. I didn't roll my eyes. No, I never said that. No, I never did that. No, no, you misinterpreted everything I did. No, 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 no. You took that out of context. No, no, no. It's all your fault, not my fault, whatever the situation may be. No, it's not my ignorance that's gotten me into this position. It, it, it was just unfortunate circumstances. Isn't it amazing how much we can push the blame off on everything else and it had nothing to do with us? Friends, when our lives are in a mess and we want to be restored, there is a process that we cannot skip. And that is this, taking ownership for our contribution to the mess we're in. We have to. Well, you know, I just got some bad counsel. Okay, but you took it. And you ran with it. Uh, you know, I just... Whatever. No, come on. In order for us to be restored, in order for the mess to be made right, we have to take ownership. And then here's something else that we've got to do, and this can be even more painful than admitting, and this is what you see happening a lot of times in the lives of people. It's got to be this, that not only is ownership taken for the actions, but ownership of specific actions that got us or them into the shape they're in. Sounds something like this. I know I've said this before, but just bear with me. Well, I know I'm not perfect, but, right? You know what you've just said? Or what they've just said, not you, but what they've just said? They've just said, I'll admit a little bit of guilt, but I won't be too specific in my responsibility. Well, I wouldn't have said that, but they made me so mad, I didn't know how else to respond. No, 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 that, that's not the way it works. Well, I was going to, but... No, 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 no. No, see, whenever a person takes ownership for their actions, there can be no but attached to it. Okay, I've already alluded to it, so there's not a lot of surprise or suspense here, but what are you and I sometimes guilty of? Well, I know I'm a flawed individual. I know I'm just a sinner. I understand that we all make mistakes, and I've certainly made my fair share of mistakes. But that being said, no, 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 there's no but that being said past that. The mess that I'm in, the position I've worked myself into, did other people contribute? Possibly. But no one else forced me to do what I did. And see, here is what happens so many times, to get back to what I was saying about Brother Chad's sermon. Here's what happens so many times, I think, for others and even ourselves, that sometimes when we come to God, we come to God with these little half-hearted, these little half-hearted, insincere apologies. Father... Let now thine ear be attentive and thine eyes open. Father, 
Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest. O Lord, I beseech thee, have mercy on me. Yeah, I probably didn't do everything right, Lord, but you understand I'm just a flawed individual. It doesn't work that way. What did Nehemiah say? I have sinned, my father's house have sinned, here's how we've sinned, we've dealt corruptly, and we have not kept the commandments, statutes, judgments, anything you've told us to do, we haven't done. You know what needs to happen in order for me to be restored in the midst of my mess? You know what needs to happen for you to be restored back to God in the midst of your mess? You know what we've got to do? We've got to be willing to come to God and say, God, I am here and I'm in this position because I blew it. End of the explanation. And it's not as though we're surprising God with getting specific, but I think it's helpful for us to be specific, for us to say, Lord, here's what I did. Now, he's not up in heaven saying, really? Huh, no, I didn't know that. That, that. That's not his response. But it is helpful for you and I to be willing to identify where we have disobeyed God's word. Lord, I'm not going to come to you, say I'm sorry, and try to push it off on someone else. God, I'm not going to come to you with this little half-hearted apology and say, Lord, I'm sorry, and, and then try to make excuses for it. No, here's what I'm going to do. In this desire for restoration for myself and behalf of the, everybody that's involved, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, God, I'm asking you to hear my prayer, even though I know I really don't deserve it right now. And I'm asking you to forgive because I know I've sinned. And this is where I have sinned. And this is where I have failed. And God, understanding that, me knowing that, I'm just going to ask for your mercy and nothing else. And this evening, I, I'm, I'm here to tell you, you may not need this right now. But I promise you, we will need this in the future. Because we're all going to mess it up at some point. No, 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 I don't do that anymore. Boy, you're right on the doorstep of messing it up if you're not already doing it and just don't realize it. We're sinful, fallen creatures. We're not going to get it right every time. And so there are going to be times that we just totally foul things up. We're going to be the ones who are responsible for it. And we can do one of two things. We can either go to God the right way, admit where we were wrong, and be specific and say, Lord, I'm asking for mercy. God, I'm asking you to, to show me that forgiveness that only you can grant. Or we'll go to God and we'll say, uh, yeah, God, I need some mercy. And we'll never address the real problem. And it could be, I'm not saying that it is, I'm just saying it could be, that there are some in here tonight that if you were just honest, you'd have to say something like this. Yeah, I'm kind of in the middle of a mess and I've, I've not really wanted to admit how much of it is my fault. I would just encourage you tonight to take a look at the example of Nehemiah. And be willing to say, here's what I need to do as of tonight. I need to stop blaming someone else. I need to stop having these half-hearted, pious approaches to God. I just need to come before God and say, God, it's me. 
It's me who messed this up. It is me who sinned. It is me who violated this, whatever it may be. And just be honest with God because it's when we are honest before God that we get the restoration process going in our lives. So whether we need it tonight or somewhere in the future, the next time we start to say, yeah, but, remember, there is no restoration in looking at someone else to be the excuse for your failure, for my failure, whatever it may be. Take ownership, be specific, and then you have the right or the ability to ask for the mercy of God. All right? So I'll stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us to learn and to be helped by this prayer of Nehemiah. As he came to you on behalf of the nation of Israel, I pray that you'd help us to see again that, that example and that we might follow it in our own personal lives be men and women who are willing to confess our sin, to be specific about it before we ask for your mercy. I pray that you'd bless the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.